All right. This is the pastor. He's preaching. I'm done. Amen. I, I certainly thought Jeremiah was going to preach today. I started to just give him my notes and my Bible and sit right now. Well, listen, we certainly gather here today to call on the name of Jesus. Anybody come to call on the name of Jesus? And one of the things I love about calling on the name of Jesus is he actually hears you. Psalm 130 says it this way. I cried to the Lord and he heard my voice. Like it is amazing. It is not just amazing that he answers prayer. It's amazing that he hears you when you pray and when you call on the name of Jesus. We don't serve a God that's too busy. We don't serve a God that sees that phone call coming through and then ignores it. Y'all know how we do. Y'all get that number that you don't know. We send that right to voicemail, but God doesn't do you like that. He doesn't look at a text message that you send and does not answer it back. But we serve a God that delights to hear from his children, his sons and his daughters. And I'm I'm grateful that we get to come in today to corporately call on Jesus together. You could have stayed home today, but it is good to get with your brothers and sisters so we can all lift up our voices together and worship this king that sits on the throne, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm certainly excited to be here. Each day the Lord gives us is an extension of his grace, is an extension of his mercy. Lamentations 3 says that God is faithful, and it says that his mercies are new every morning. This morning you woke up to a faithful God that, that gave you brand new mercy. Only people that realize you needed mercy rejoice over the fact that you woke up to new mercy this morning. Can we give God some praise for his faithfulness? Let's get to the word. We got some stuff to do. So get in the Bible. If you can get to Romans chapter four. We've been going through a sermon series or a book series on the book of Romans. And it's been it's been amazing. We've we've been doing literally verse by verse and line by line. And uh, we, we started it in January and, you know, we're, we're slowly going through it. We're not trying to take off large chunks and, and we're, we're literally going slowly but surely through it. And, you know, never underestimate, if I can use this moment to quickly give some pastoral reflection and really uh, just an encouragement to you, never underestimate the power of going through a book of, of a Bible, either in your devotional time, but certainly together as a church, there is something so foundational about working through all of what God has to say, you know, uh, it's easy to be a selective Christian. Well, you only pick and choose, well, you know, what's encouraging you. But sometimes you got to go through them books that there's parts that encourage you and parts that uh, that actually co- convict you or parts that are challenging for you. And that's what I love about going through a book of the Bible. We don't get to pick and choose what we're going through. But I love the way Paul says in 2 Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is breathed out by God and It's profitable for correction and instructions in righteousness. And that's what we get when we go through a book of the Bible. Uh, And don't underestimate the fact that we are three years old and we've gone through five books already of the Bible. That is that's really a big deal. And, you know, sometimes we can come here and we just put, you know, new words up and we're like, all right, cool. We just going through another book. But that is that's really incredible. And, And I want you guys to rejoice with me over our church's desire to let the word of God dictate our time and where we're going and what we're talking about and uh, don't have the pastor just choosing what we're talking about, but the word of God is going to dictate that. And I'm grateful for, uh, for that. Well, let's do this. Let's, let's jump in. We're going to do something a little different. It's really, it's not going to feel different for you. Um, 
But normally when we go through books of the Bible, we just go through the entire book. But this time around, we're trying to pick out themes because Romans is 16 chapters. It's a long book. And if you just keep going through it after a while, it just it just becomes common and normal. So we're trying to pick out some things that Paul is talking about. Uh, and so we're, we're picking out a theme over the next couple of chapters. Paul is going to zoom in on how our salvation really last week. He kind of talked about this, how our salvation and our justification, which just means our right standing before God, is all by faith alone. And we're calling this theme that Paul's going to pick up on in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, we're calling this theme on God, meaning your salvation is on God. Your justification is on God. Your redemption is on God. And that's good news because if it ain't on God, that means it's on us and uh, we can't handle it. That's an unbearable weight. It is an unbearable weight for you to think that you can earn your own salvation. And so Paul, it's going to feel a little redundant, Paul, over and over again from last week, really last week, 21 to 31, and definitely chapter 4 and 5. He's just going to run on this idea uh, of our faith being on God. So jump in with me. We're in verse 1. Y'all good this morning? Y'all going to talk back just a little bit? All right. Verse 1. What then will we say about Abraham? Our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Underline this question. For what does the scriptures say? He's going to quote Genesis 15, verse 6 here. Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Verse six, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. If you write in your Bibles right next to verse seven and verse eight, Psalm 32, that's what he's about to quote here. Blessed are those who law, whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. You should rejoice at verse 8. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. I want to preach this morning from the topic entitled, On God. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, would you open our eyes today that we may behold the wondrous things out of your law. It is in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen. Won't you look at your neighbor and just say, your faith is on God. That neighbor wasn't feeling you. Look at somebody else and say, your justification is on God. Look at somebody else and say, your redemption is on God. Most importantly, look at them and say, your sin is on God. You should worship right there just for a quick second before we jump into the text. Last week, Paul, Paul gave encouragement to, if you missed last week, you, you really should catch up because uh, uh, chapter one, chapter two, Paul was just hammering away, beating us up about our sins. He got the Jews in chapter one. He got the, uh, he got the Gentiles in chapter one, got the Jews in chapter two. And then last week, he kind of switched gears and with two specific words. Y'all remember those words? But now, but now is what he, uh, he, he decided that he was going to change the trajectory of the way that he was dealing with them. And after he said, but now, he goes on to say, but now, basically he was saying, you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And I, I know that's a little catchy phrase that you guys hear me say often, grace alone. It's, it's, it's a good way to summarize, it's shorthand for the gospel. 
that you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But even though it's a catchy phrase, it is a doctrinally rich phrase. And as I went home uh, after Sunday, around Monday or Tuesday, I started to think about this phrase a little bit more, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I was thinking about my conversion story. Over a decade ago, the Lord saved me and honestly saved me with those exact same words. Those are the words that the young guy that shared the gospel with me uh, used. That you, man, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And honestly, if you would have asked the unredeemed me, if you would have asked the, the me before Christ ransomed my heart, I would have told you I had no problem with grace. I had no problem with faith. I had no problem with Christ. In fact, I never denounced the cross. I grew up in church. We, we were taught to believe in the cross, but I often added to the cross. So it was the cross plus my works. It was the cross plus baptism. So I had no problem with grace. I had no problem with faith. I had no problem with Christ. My problem was with the word alone. So in other words, it is not just enough to believe in grace. It is not just enough to believe in faith. It is not just enough to believe in Christ. But you must believe in the exclusion. You must believe that it is grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. And this word alone really robs you of your ability to contribute anything to your salvation. That this word alone pulls the control. That's why we don't like that grace, that it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. The reason we don't like that when we're not, when we are unregenerate and we haven't trusted in the Lord, the reason we don't like that is because it stops you from having control over your own eternal destiny. But I love it because it puts it all on God. The moment you take a loan away from the, from the statement, you now don't, you no longer have the gospel. In other words, it's not a, it's not a distortion of the gospel. Paul will say in Galatians chapter one, it's a whole nother gospel. And so when I think about this idea of grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, it really helps me to rejoice because I realize this word alone actually sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion has a hint of do more and work harder. For example, Hinduism requires that you work towards your salvation. Islam in the Quran, Allah will accept you only based on a certain amount of good deeds. But even that is not a secure foundation because if your bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, he can decline you into heaven. And so when I think about these other religions, it's always calling me to strive and to work and to work and to work. And only in Christianity does God say, I'm going to put the work on my son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, you only need faith. You don't need to earn it. You don't need work. And so salvation is by faith alone, through, through, uh, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul will argue that today. But stay with me. Don't check out. He's going to argue that through the rest of the chapter. He's going to argue that for the next chapter. In other words, Paul is going to literally say to you that it is impossible for you to work to earn his love. Paul is going to show us that there is not enough good that you have in you to present to a God that won't accept good anyway, but demands perfection. And he says that you can't do it. 
And he's going to pull that away from us. And honestly, that's what he said last week. And I, I, know, I know what you're doing. You're sitting here with those judgmental eyes. You're going to pass it. You preached that last week, and you're going to preach that the week before. And you always preach about grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. I need something else. But do you know how many people will go through life, stand before God on a workspace gospel? Okay, let me go deeper. Do you know how many people come to church and still believe that they have to earn God's love? So you might be saying that's a it's a redundant sermon that you keep preaching, but you need to keep hearing it. Because even if you trusted in God, like I said last week, we always revert back to trying to earn his love. So you need to hear it over and over again. And even though the church here has people that come that believe in a works based gospel, it was the same way in Rome. In Rome, there was a debate, literally a debate that took place. Uh, surrounded around Abraham, how was Abraham justified? Some people believe he was justified and saved through works, and some people believe that he was justified and saved through faith. And so there was a dissension or division within Rome. Some of the Jews believed that you had to earn it. Some of the Jews believed that it was by faith. And I love Paul because what he does in our text today is Paul settles the debate. But how he settles the debate is not by his opinion. Paul settles the debate by looking back at the Old Testament. Please don't miss this. If you miss this, I have failed you today. Hear me and hear me well. Paul is settling the debate by digging into scripture. And y'all know we settle debates based on tradition. What was passed down to me? Well, my mama said it, so therefore it gotta be true. But Paul's like, no, no, no. Let me, let me show you that this thing is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He pulls out two examples. He says, come here, Abraham. Let me show you Abraham. Oh, but you may not. That may not be enough for you. Let me pull out David as well. In other words, Paul is doing. Y'all know how sometimes I say something and I say, let me put some Bible there. Paul is putting Bible on what he said last week. Last week, Paul said that we are saved and justified by faith apart from works. And this week, he's like, you know what? You may not believe me. So let me dig into the scriptures. He goes into the Old Testament, pulls out Genesis 15. He goes into the Old Testament and he pulls out Psalm 32. And I love that because Paul cared about the scriptures. In fact, look at verse three with me, preaching a little out of order. This would get me in trouble with preaching professors. Look at verse number three. It says, what does the scriptures say? I, I love that. Like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go through life and we ask that question with everything we did? What does the scripture say? Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if if. Uh, we depended on the scriptures more than we depend on our friend's counsel. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if, if we valued the scriptures more than we valued cliches? Y'all know we do. And I, I'm so sick of cliches that have no authority. Like God helps those that help themselves. You know that ain't in the Bible, right? There is not a scripture that says God helps those who helps themselves. And if I ask y'all to come up here and say, what's a, what's a cliche that you thought was scripture? Do you know how many of y'all would come up with a whole bunch of stuff? Because what we do is we lean on cute, catchy phrases that will not have authoritative power in your life. But I love Paul because he says, what does the scripture say? Not the, what does cliche say? What do cliches say? When, when, we, we love uh, a little phrases like when God closes one door, he'll open a window. Y'all tell me a passage you can find that in. Listen, that'll make you shout, but that won't grow a mature Christian. What grows mature Christians is when you can answer this question, what does the scripture say? I know what culture says. 
I know what mama said. I know what the pastor says. I know what the mend of God says. You know, you got to put a D on it, mix it, make it a little bit more spiritual. Like, I, I get it. I, I understand. I, I, get, I get what was passed down to you. But what was passed down to you is not on par with what the scripture says. And Paul is like, I know there's a debate within the church at Rome. So let me settle the debate. But let me not settle it by stuff that you've heard. Let me go into the Old Testament. What does the scripture say? You all look at your name and say, what does the scripture say? And, and here's, the, here's the problem. Here, here's the problem with us. See, Paul is assuming, Paul is assuming that they understand or at least know what the scriptures say. Can that assumption that Paul makes in the text be true of you? Do you actually know? See, this is why we are so wishy-washy and we blow with every wind and every doctor. And this is why we hear stuff and we be like, oh, that sounds about right. No, what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? This is why we need to get back. And the problem is we don't have enough word in us. And that is why we're blowing with every wind and every doctrine, because we don't have a solid foundation. What does the Bible say? So Paul is Paul is really Paul is encouraging us at the same time. He is convicting us. And I also I also believe that this is why the church is weak in evangelism. This is why we are weak in evangelism, because we, we don't we're scared to get into that moment where we're talking to somebody about the scriptures and they ask us that one question that we can't answer. And so therefore, instead of sharing the gospel and evangelizing, we invite them to church and you've made invitations to church synonymous with evangelism. But an invite to church don't save nobody. But evangelism can and we don't what, what we do is we invite them so that they can hear a professional speaker. Listen to me. The pastor and the only one that should be able to explain scripture. You have an obligation to defend what the scriptures say. So you shouldn't have to bring them to church so that they can hear the word. You should be able to. If I fell ill, I fell sick in the middle of this sermon and I had to sit down. Who would be able to come up here and finish the sermon? Who would be able, and I'm not saying open to your passage, well, let me get to John 3, 16. No, 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 no. <laughs> Who spent enough time this week in God's word and your devotional time and your time with the Lord that you can answer this question Paul is asking? What does the scripture say? So Paul settles the debate here, but he does so by taking them to the word of God. There should not be a day that goes by that you don't read the word. But unfortunately, it is it is not high on our list of priority. We do not hold the word of God in high esteem. We come. Some of y'all opened your physical copies of the Bible or some of you went on your device and you opened up the Bible app and it literally landed on Romans three from last week's sermon because you ain't been in it all week. So there's not enough word in us. There's not enough depth in us. You look cute. You look nice today. But are you cute on the inside? There's enough words. So Paul, Paul basically says, listen, I'm going to put some Bible here. I, I, I got to get you in the word because I know that y'all think some of y'all think that salvation is by works. And some of you think that is by faith alone. So let's settle it. Here's how we're going to do it. Come here, Abraham. Come here, David. Let, let's deal with both of those those uh, Old Testament characters, because that is exactly what Paul deals with first. He deals with Abraham and Abraham is probably the most important, uh, not because he's so special, but for the rest of the chapter, even next week, when you come back, he's going to go deeper into Abraham. But look at what he says today. Verse one. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found if Abraham was justified by works? 
and he has something to boast about. Most commentators believe that the people in Rome were arguing about Abraham's justification. How was Abraham saved? Some people say work. Some people say faith. In fact, the, the, uh, the, what they would say is that the reason that God even picked Abraham is because he was obedient and because he uh, had good behavior. And Here's the text that they would use. Write this down. Genesis 26. They, they would say, here it is. Here's Abraham being justified by works, not faith. Genesis 26, verse 4 and 5. Here's what God says to Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give your offspring all the lands and your offspring and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here it is. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. And they will say, there it is. Abraham was not justified by faith alone. Abraham was justified by works. But Paul clarifies for us today. He says, no, 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 no. If Abraham was justified by works, look at the rest of the text. Then he has something to boast about. Let me go deeper. If Abraham was justified by good works and obedience, can we agree then he can be unjustified by bad works and disobedience? Let me, let me come down your street a little bit. If you earned your salvation by good behavior, the moment you have bad behavior, you can lose your salvation. But how many know doctrinal uh, theological check real quick? How many know you can't lose your salvation? Jesus says, none can pluck them out of my hand. So in other words, you didn't earn it, therefore you can't lose it. And I need somebody that knows that, like, this is what I, this is what I know about the church at Rome. They would have looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2 and said, if I could lose it, I would have lost it back then. But now I'm in chapter 4, you telling me I'm justified by faith alone. And it corrects behavior, not to earn his love, but because we got it. Because we got his love, and therefore I can... I can work from there. And so Paul is checking him. He's like, listen, you, Abraham didn't earn it because Abraham didn't earn it. Then he can't lose it. And the same is true of you. And I need somebody that knows that you've messed up. Somebody that knows that if you really, if you really was banking on your behavior, the moment you failed, you would have lost God's love. I need somebody. To, see, that's the beauty of salvation. The beauty of salvation isn't just that you're saved. It is that you're still saved. That God didn't have enough power just to bring you out, but he got enough power to keep you. It's the God we got. We serve a God that does not, does not just have power to change your heart, but to keep your heart, to keep you after him. And so he says, listen, he's not, he's not justified by, by works because if he, if he was justified by works, then he can fall out of grace with God. Not only that, but then he has something to boast about. And how many know that heaven is a boast-free zone? Nobody stands in heaven and says, look at me. No one stands at the gates of heaven and be like, you got to let me in. Look at all that good. I See, that's what, if Abraham earned it, he could do that. But Abraham didn't earn it. I love, I love the way Kendrick Lamar says it. Sit down and be humble. Somebody says, shut up. That's not Kendrick. That's you. Listen, that, that's exactly he, what Paul is saying is if Abraham earned it, then Abraham some, has something to be. Uh, he, does, he won't be humble. He has something that he could boast in, but he has nothing he could boast in because our salvation being on God stops you from being prideful. Our salvation being on God because all of us got in by the same way. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. You didn't get in because you earned it. Now, now he's going to go deeper in Abraham. Watch verse number three. He's staying on Abraham. For what does the scripture say? 
Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was, look at this word, credited to him for righteousness. He's going to use it again. Watch this. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. Verse number five. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly righteous, his faith, here it is again, is credited for righteousness. He says three times here, it's credited. It's credited. It's credited. In fact, I did the math. If you read the rest of chapter four, ten times, he says, your righteousness is credited. Do you you understand how powerful that is? That God in heaven looked at your spiritual bank account and realized that it was depleted. And then he added a credit to it. He says that your righteousness is given to you. It is not something that is earned because if it's earned, then it's a gift. But I mean, then, then it's owed. But if it's if it's if it's grace alone through faith alone, then it is a gift to you. In other words, when he says that, when he says that if you earned it, then it's owed to you. It's like, you know, you, you go into work and, and and on payday, you look at your app on your on your phone. And you look at that, that, that bank app and you click on it and you see that your, your pay went through. Nobody in that moment goes, oh, man, that was really nice. Like, I'm really happy that they paid me today. Like, that was, that was really, they didn't have to. That was kind. No, you go to that app and you be like, they better have put my money in there. <laughs> the, the reason you do that is because it's owed to you. You've earned it. But here's what you earn in the spiritual realm. You earn death. The wages of sin is death. That's what Paul's going to talk about in in, in chapter six. He says the wages of sin is death. So your wages, what you've earned by your works is death. And so grace alone, faith alone and Christ alone is a gift to you because your spiritual uh, uh, bank account is depleted. In heaven, God is looking at your bank account and he puts a stack of righteousness in it. See, the reason you're not rejoicing because you don't realize how much in debt you were. You don't realize that you got overdraft fee after overdraft fee. Y'all, how many of y'all hate overdraft fees? Well, spiritually, you got a bunch of them. A whole bunch of them. And God looks down from heaven and he sees that you have no money in the bank, in the spiritual bank. And he says, righteousness. And he puts a credit in on your behalf. And you should be rejoicing because outside of Jesus doing that, you and I have no way to stand before the Lord. I, I heard this guy preaching this sermon. This was years ago, and it, he was a prosperity preacher, and he was preaching about um, how you can earn and work and just keep persevering, and you'll make it to God. And he was very crafty with his words, and the room was packed, and people were screaming and going crazy, and he gave this analogy that rocked the room. The analogy was about, about these two frogs that fell into a bowl of milk, and when they fell into the bowl of milk, they uh, both of the frogs They went around the bowl to see if they could get out, but it was too steep, and they couldn't get out of the bowl. So they kept pedaling. But one of the frogs got tired of pedaling, and so he drowned in the milk. But the other frog kept pedaling and kept pedaling and kept persevering and kept working and kept doing it and kept going. And finally, the milk churned, and it turned to butter. And when it turned to butter, he had a solid foundation that he could jump out. And the pastor was like, see, you can just keep swimming, and you'll make it to God. That's cute, but that ain't biblical. You can't, listen, you're the frog that drowns. And Christ is the one that comes and redeems us. You can't work your way. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. You got to rely on God. You got to rely on faith because trying to work is foolish. Listen, it's a cute story with the milk, but that ain't true. It's one of those cute cliche sayings, but that ain't what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. He says, Abraham, 
believed God and it was credited to him. See, if this was a prosperity church and I told you that God was going to give you double for your trouble and I told you that this, you're going to get your green in 2019 and I told you that that money cometh to me now and you'll be by the end of this month that you're going to look in your bank account. It's going to be a stack. You would be going crazy. But when, when I'm sitting here telling you that you were spiritually depleted and that God added a credit to your account, somebody should be rejoicing right there. And so, and so I love Paul because what he does is he says, listen, let's look at Abraham. You, you don't believe me of what I'm saying, so let me dig in the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith, he didn't know who Jesus was, but his faith in a Messiah, a Redeemer, is what's going to save him. But he, doesn't, he says, okay, maybe you don't believe Abraham. Let me pull out another one. He goes to David. Look at verse 6. Are y'all still with me? He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person of whom, here's that word, God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person who the Lord will never charge with sin. I literally was scratching my head all week trying to figure out why in the world Abraham, somebody don't want to turn that app off. (laughs) Why in the world it's all good? Why in the world Abraham and David were used? I was, I really was, I was scratching my head going, what is the connection? Like one is the father of Israel and one is the king of Israel. They're not really connected. We don't know. They never met. So what in the world, like why would he use these two examples? But then I read Psalm 32. See what he's quoting here, what he's quoted when he says David, he's quoting Psalm 32. If you've never read Psalm 32, you should go read it. In fact, the inscription above the text of Psalm 32 literally says the joy of forgiveness. Because all David talks about in Psalm 32 is his sin. And then he talks about his savior and how God forgives him. And when I read Psalm 32, I said, I got it. This is what he's trying to show us, that Abraham was justified apart from his works. But David is justified despite his works. In other words, Abraham is justified not by him earning it. David is justified even though he blew it, even though he messed up, even though he has sin in his life, he's justified not apart, but despite. And, and this is where a praise break would have, would, have bur- would have burst out in Rome. A praise break would have burst out because they would have said, chapter one, I lost it. Chapter two, I lost it. But now I'm in chapter four and I realize that I actually got, I'm justified despite my works. And the same is true of you. You are accepted by a holy God despite the fact that you didn't earn it, despite the fact that you messed up, despite the fact that you make bad decisions, the, the, despite the fact that, that you, you turned up. Like all of the, God still looks at you and says, I want you. Like you. He wants you. He desires you. And he wants you so much that he goes to a cross and is willing to give his only son. You are justified apart from your works, but you're also justified despite your works. And even in with David, he uses the word credit. Like even with David, he says there, despite his, his dysfunction, despite his sin uh, with Bathsheba, I'm still going to credit his account with righteousness. I graduated from Karen University. I told this story a few years ago. Graduated from Karen University, as formerly known as Philadelphia Biblical University. It's Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And when I graduated, you know, before you can get your cap and gown, you have to have a zero balance. 
And, and so I, I looked at my balance, and I didn't have a zero balance. I, you know, I owed books, and uh, I lost some books, and so I had to pay for those books. I had a meal plan, so I had to pay for, you know, pay the meal plan off. So I, I had some, some debt with the school. And they're like, you can't. When I went to get my cap McGowan, you can't. You got to go to the finance office because you got to pay that debt first. I go to the finance office realizing I ain't got the money, but I go to the finance office to see what can be worked out. And when I get there, the lady says, Mr. Watts, um, you actually don't have a balance. You have a zero balance. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, I spoke in tongues. And I'm like, well, where did that, how do I have a zero balance? What happened? And she says, oh, 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 I see. I see what happened. An anonymous source, a ministry comes to our school every so often. And they look at all of the students' debt. And they say, let me pay the debt because I don't want them to have debt. I want them to go into ministry. So therefore, I'm going to pay the debt. So an anonymous source paid my debt. And then I, here's the thing about the gospel. See, what Paul is saying is not that you have an anonymous source that put a credit in the account. But you know who your savior is that credited your account. And because we know who our savior is that credits our account, let me just say his name. Jesus credits your account. You and I should worship him. We are, our lives should be in debt to him. Why? Because he's a merciful God. His Bible says that he's rich in mercy. Do you know what that means? That if I said I was financially rich, what you can conclude is that I have an abundance of resources. When the Bible says he's rich in mercy, it means he has an abundance of mercy. Here's why you should rejoice, because I know you got an abundance of sin. But the more sin you have, God is like the more. And this ain't a cheap grace gospel. This isn't a, just keep sinning and God will continue to cover you because that's not a Christian. A Christian would never say God gave me grace. so I'm going to just keep on sinning. No, no, no. Sin no more. And so we walk in obedience to God and grace in the license of sin. We walk in obedience to God because he credited our account. We walk in obedience to God because he lavished love on us with the great love in which he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. The end of that chapter says that it's not by works because if it's by works, you can boast. There's somebody in this room. You've been leaning on your own effort. You've been leaning on your own ability to try to do good. And the reality is, you, you know, like, let's be honest. I told you all last week, we suck at keeping rules. We suck at doing good all the time. You can keep it for some time, some point, but at some point you always fall off. Who in this room needs a credit to their account? Who in this room knows that you have failed, you have messed up, you have made wrong decisions, you have done things wrong? He says, okay, Abraham, David, they both got credits. One apart from his works, one despite his works. And who is it in this room, despite what you did this week, needs a credit to your account? God is willing to give that to you today. And again, if this was a, if this was a, a prosperity message, you'd be rejoicing. But because I'm talking about you don't realize how in debt you were. And your debt before God really should condemn you. But it gives God an opportunity to say, here's a credit. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. Love your verse eight that says, blessed is the person who will never be charged with sin. If we've trusted in you, oh God, you don't count sin against us. You dealt with it. You didn't sweep it under the rug because you're holy. You dealt with it through Jesus. And we get to walk free. So Father, I pray, oh God, that this message that we, at least those that come here on a consistent basis here every week, that it wouldn't get lost, that it wouldn't be redundant, that it wouldn't lose, we wouldn't lose our sense of awe over the gospel. The fact 
that you saved us is a miracle, but the fact that you keep us saved is a greater miracle. So we thank you, oh God, for adding a credit to our account. Thank you, God, that you, you don't want entertainment from us. You want obedience. And you want obedience because you put your son on the cross to die for us. And because he dies for us, those that have faith in you get to be called yours. We can call you our father and you call us your children. And because of that, oh God, we want to walk with you forever. And so, Father, let this idea of grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone move from just being a phrase to being a lifestyle to impacting and transforming all of who we are, oh God. That person in this room that doesn't know you, I don't know who they are, but that person in this room that has been faking it until they make it, that person that comes every week and they're just attracted to the, to the body and the community, but they don't know why, Lord, let them know today that you are pursuing them. And what you pursue is actually going to be yours doesn't matter how much they run. Father, you can save them today. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, we'd be remiss if we walked out of here. Didn't open that opportunity for somebody to respond to grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Father, who is that person that needs to know that you've added that credit to their account? Father, I pray that today they wouldn't leave until they talk to somebody. Somebody that has trusted in you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And after you save them, Father, help them go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen.